David at every point was praying to God saying, you know what, what do I do? Where do I go? My name is Matt. With me today, we have Eric. Hey. And we've got Tracy. Morning. And we do not have Karen. It's just the dudes, guys. Let's talk about Karen. <laughs> no. no, Karen's taking care of something today, and she won't be able to be with us, but she'll be back. So no worries there. Uh, you guys staying warm? Yeah, we have electricity and uh, heat, and so we're going for us. We don't, we don't live in Texas. That's kind of a bonkers situation. I just learned down there that a lot of times they don't put furnaces in their house. I was, I was, it never occurred to me that you might not put a furnace in your house because you didn't need one. But that explains why things are freezing up down there and being so crazy, or at least part of it. But, um, it's just such an interesting situation down there where everything is so cold right now. So. I guess cold is in perspective because I was looking there and on a couple of the days. And it, it got down to like, I think, eight, eight degrees. Mm-hmm. But most of the time it, it's been, you know, 30, 32 degrees, 36 degrees, you know, and mm-hmm. we were, what were we last or beginning of this week? Minus 14, minus 17. Oh, at least I saw minus 20 at one point. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of what you're, you're used to basically. And <laughs> exactly got down lower than they, they expected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. I saw a post that was talking about how to how to stay warm if your bedroom gets down to forty degrees. I'm thinking forty degrees sounds pretty great. <laughs> Throw a couple blankets on, and you're you got some nice, cool sleeping weather. But um, <laughs> just interesting. Just I don't know. It's just a it's just a baffling, interesting situation where you know where we don't we don't always consider what it is that that will affect people differently from us. But I hope everybody's doing well and staying safe and staying warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some crazy videos down there from from uh, multiple car pileups and just ugly stuff. Broken water pipes. Yeah, who knows what you have to prepare for. You know, it makes you think, what have we not prepared for that we just never considered? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I haven't prepared for it. Well, let's get into our discussion today. We are in, we're going to begin the book of first chronicles today we've uh, we've kind of gotten through the reign of i'm going to say it wrong saul <laughs> i have this i have this terrible habit of of getting saul and samuel mixed up and they could not be different people more different people but pretty much the, the reign of saul is is over he was killed in battle and so now we're in this new era of israel I can imagine things are just kind of up in the air. So we begin this book. Actually, you know what? I'm going to – that's where we thats where we left off. I want us to start, though – we're going to jump to Chronicles, First Chronicles here a bit. Because we are going to get into the second – the book of Second Samuel. But this is where things start to cross over between books a bit because the book of Second Samuel – and then the book of First Chronicles, they start to tell the same story from different perspectives, where Chronicles is more of a religious history, and then 
Second Samuel and Kings presents more of a political history. So we're going to be trying to look at all these things at the same time to get a full story as we go. But now First Chronicles, the first several chapters is just full of a lot of genealogies and society structures and a lot of things we've basically covered before. And frankly, unless you're just really, really into history and knowing, knowing who, who begat who, that kind of stuff, it's just not, it's not terribly interesting. There's not a lot to glean there. It's, in, it's, it's important for historical purposes, not so much for any kind of a theological or doctrinal discussion. But as you go through First Chronicles and you're reading all of these genealogies and you get into chapter 4, there's this sudden, it's like somebody put the brakes on and you have this brief little blurb about a guy named Jabez. Now this name, this is a name that got popularized in, I guess you would say, well, in popular Christian culture. I don't know, shoot, what was it? 20-ish years ago, 10 years ago? I don't know, probably longer than we think. But this whole book got written about the prayer of Jabez. And like I said, it's right in the middle of this. It's This guy was this person's son, and this person was this person's son. Then all of a sudden, in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, it stops. It's like halts. And I'll just read it here real quick. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. You guys, did you guys ever read that book, The Prayer of Jabez? Yeah, I had it. Mm -hmm. it was, I'm always late to the game, but eventually somebody gave it to me. Mm -hmm. I read it. I have it somewhere. I maybe should have dug it out and glanced through it. I remember it being interesting. In the book, it's mm -hmm. probably like only four inches tall or maybe yeah, it's, a, it's a super small one. And yeah. I don't know, 30 pages long. It's it's to call it a book is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Sort of a hardback pamphlet. Yep. Yeah. You could read through it pretty quickly and easily. Well, I mean, how much of a book can you write off of two, two, uh, Two verses. Um, what did you? What do you think of the message of that though? The the you know, Jabez calling for his territory to get enlarged, and God granting it. Oh, it's answered prayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Tracy. You know, I I just think of it as basically, <clears throat> excuse me, any other prayer. You know, somebody was in need. This is what they asked for, and. You know, we don't know the background story of was he a faithful servant? You know, what was his backstory? But it was answered. And yeah, it is interesting. I remember the bit gist of the book being essentially just ask. It's sort of bordered on the edge of that prosperity gospel message, but yeah. I think my takeaway from it is it never it's never gonna hurt to ask. And if you are working with God in God's interests, you may just get what you want. I, I know it's a it's a prayer that I ask for certain things. I I I pray for the expansion of the the territory of the um of the podcast, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes that seems to happen. Maybe not as quickly as I would like, but 
but it uh, certainly it's there. Just a, it's just an interesting little it's just an interesting little stop this little little, uh, little pause in all of those genealogies. So somebody in writing this thought that it was interesting enough to write about, and mm. so you know, and it's it's interesting in that he's asking, you know, keep me from evil. I don't want to cause pain. You know, and that's that's why he's asking God to be with him. And I think that is definitely valid. Those are definitely good things to ask for. Don't I don't want to I don't want to cause trouble for anybody, and I don't want to I don't want to be stuck in evil. So I'm going to go back just a little bit. Okay. To First Chronicles chapter two, verse fourteen, or fourteen fifteen. Basically, um, well, we'll just go back all the way to twelve. Uh, First Chronicles two twelve. Boaz, we studied Ruth and Boaz. So this is the Boaz of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Mm. Jesse fathered Eliab. In case you don't know where this is going, this is Jesse was David's father. Jesse fathered Eliab, Abinadab, Shimeah, Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozam the sixth, David the seventh, and their sisters were Zeruai and Abigail, the sons of Zeruai, Abishai, Joab, and Ashiel. We've seen those before, and we'll see those guys again. This is the general Joab that David works with. This is Abishai, his brother, and Ashiel, who I believe was the one who ran like a gazelle. Ah. And so these guys, if I have my family stuff, figured out here are actually David's nephews because they're the children of David's sister. Mm. Now, because they may have had a pretty big spread, these guys may have been his same age. They may have been a little younger. They may have been older because I've heard of situations where somebody's nephew is actually older than they are. Because remember, when Samuel came to anoint David, well, everybody was there except for David because he was apparently considerably younger than his siblings. They didn't even consider him. It just didn't even cross anybody's mind that David would be included in that group of David's brothers. So when we get to these blood feuds and so on that show up later, that's the connection. Interesting. Good detective work there, Eric. I would have. I, I'm like I skimmed right over it and missed it. But yeah, I, as, you, as you're mentioning those names, like I know those names. And you're right. Good job. Well, that's about all we're going to do for Chronicles this week. So we're going to, or, yeah. No, sorry. We're going to jump to, we're going to jump to chapter 10. And chapter 10, 1 Chronicles chapter 10. So forget what I said about being done with 1 Chronicles this week. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, then, is where we start picking up narrative again. And it's largely a review of what we've already covered in 1 Samuel 31 last week. And that's where this. You know, things get interesting here because we do start to see overlap in these books. And uh, it just it just gives us a broader view of the history that's going on. I suppose it's a good lesson for us anyway. Anytime we're studying anything of history or the things going on, get different get different perspectives. Because one gives you an idea, but it doesn't give you the whole idea. And so we're gonna get we're gonna get I think I said 
we're going to get perspectives from the religious side of things and perspectives from the political side of things, and it'll give us a bigger picture of what was happening at the time. So chapter 10, 1 Chronicles, uh, talks about how the Philistines, they've defeated Israel, and they've sent them on the run. Saul and his sons get killed. Now, they tell us what they did a little more with Saul's body, or specifically his head. They didn't, we didn't get this part in, in Samuel, but they put Saul's head and armor in their temple of Dagon, which shows us that this, they saw this as a, uh, this is a spiritual victory. Now, Eric, I think, I think a few weeks ago we were talking about David and Goliath and how that was seen then as a, a battle of whose God was best. You know, remember Goliath talking about who was serving who. You know, you're just a servant of, of Saul. I'm a, you know, and I'm a Philistine. And, and David brought it out. And, you know, you're, you're just a bunch of uncircumcised Philistines and, and I serve God. Well, seems here that the Philistines definitely saw this as a spiritual victory when they took Saul's head and put it in this temple of Dagon. You know, but I think we see that too when, when David killed Goliath. They also kind of sectioned him off as well, just to keep it simple. David took his armor. We read back where when David was on the run, he went to the temple there and he got a sword. So they had parceled it all all over as well because it was it was basically a spiritual victory. And I think they were trying to play off the same thing, which, you know, after a while of losing to a certain person or battle after battle uh, being turned away, you know, I they figured it was a great accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And where we are reminded in in verse thirteen, it says Saul died for his unfaithfulness. That stood out to me some. Yeah. Here, ESV says, for his breach of faith, he broke faith with the Lord, which is interesting because that is exactly what is written in First Chronicles nine. One, this Chronicles was actually written much, much, much later because you've got genealogies that skip way ahead of these guys. So the narrative and the genealogies and so on of some of these books, they're not, this isn't like transcribed from a live action radio program that was happening, right? This is, this is history that's written down much, much later because in, in chapter, First Chronicles 9, It says, so all Israel was recorded in genealogies, and these are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. So this book was written after Israel had been taken into Babylon, which is like, that skips way ahead. I mean, we've skipped almost all the kings of Israel by the time we're at First Chronicles nine one, I mean we're talking about the Dan- we're talking about the books of Daniel and Ezra and so, I mean way later, right? But my, that's not my point. My point is to say, what's in common? The breach of faith. And I think this is a very fascinating thing because some will propose it's like, well, in the Old Testament, everybody was just kept, you know, was saved by what they did. It was just all of their their actions. It was it was keeping the commandments. And in the New Testament, it's faith. Well, we have a we have a problem if we believe that, 
Because here we have in First Chronicles 9, Israel going to Babylon because of their breach of faith. And in First Chronicles 10, 13, Saul died for his breach of faith. And it gets even more complicated because you've got Hebrews chapter 11, which is entirely called the faith chapter. All of the characters in the faith chapter are Old Testament players. So what, I, what I'm saying is, is that faith was really important, essential, in the Old Testament. This wasn't some kind of concept that was introduced in by Jesus, you know, in, in the book of Matthew or John or Acts. This was always the case. This mm -hmm. was always the case. And their breach of faith was... So I say illustrated by, proved by, I'm reading in Matthew, and Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them. Their breach of faith was shown by their actions. And right here, sure enough, after we have Saul dying for his breach of faith, this is chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 13, uh, he died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the commandment of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to Jess, David, the son of Jesse. And again, we have this idea that whatever God allows, he did. And, and we just, you got to hold that, you've got to hold that, um, uh, that construct in your, in your mind. And it's not easy that we have here. It says, therefore, the Lord put him to death. And earlier in the chapter, who actually killed Saul? The Philistines. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't God's desire ever that the Philistines kill Saul. It wasn't God's desire that Saul break faith. So it, it's not as simple as, oh, well, God just killed Saul. It's like, well, no, kind of in a way Saul killed Saul because Saul gave up on what his strength was. And... Saul made choices, and those choices led to separation of God. He took himself outside of God's control and blessing, and the inevitable results were that the Philistines killed him. And here at the end of the chapter, it says, therefore the Lord put him to death. So, yeah. It you know, is, yeah. Just to piggyback on that, can it be that it's not so much God put him to death, but he was able to, I think we've talked about this before, just remove that hedge and that frame of protection. Oh, sure. You know, from being faithful and following the commandments that you, that they have. Yeah. And then, you know, also on that too, is gonna, I'm kind of bouncing a little bit ahead, but when I was reading the, the Psalms, that's where I think David was different than everybody else is that you see this faithfulness in every psalm that he writes. It's, you know what? Help me with my faithfulness. Do your will. I know you're in control. I know you can help me. Even though I've done X, Y, and Z, I know you're still there. I know you'll protect me from my enemies. I know you'll give me victory over my enemies. And I think it's that that's where you get a heart after God is because at every single turn, that's what David was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I might even take it a step further and say Saul actively stepped out of the protection of God. Oh, yeah. Not not just that God, not just so much even that God pulled it away, but but Saul just kept stepping. You know, he's got a shield in front of him, and he goes, "Nah, don't want it," and you know, steps to the left. 
so that that shield's not protecting him anymore. And it's it was his own actions. And, so yeah. then I have a I, I called it I wrote it down as a thin ice question. <laughs> okay, um, but you know I I have you know friends that mention well once saved or yeah once saved always saved. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the person that I I tend to bring up because if we remember in the beginning. Saul was chosen by God. Yeah. Yeah. Saul prophesied with when he when he first was was selected and then to fall out like he did and right there you see in 1 Chronicles chapter 10 verse 13 he he breached that. You know, so what do we have for the the lesson of Saul is maybe don't take everything for granted. Yeah. It's not you know, just because you did something great in the beginning of your life, that it covers the rest of breaching that faith. That faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like saying that by keeping the commandments, that's how you're being saved. Not at all. It's just that 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 law is there as it's a, it's that shield. It's it's that um, it's that means of protection. But it's it's always there for you to decide: Am I going to use it or not? It's a hard issue, because here, reading in Matthew 12, 31, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather scatters. That's Mm -hmm. 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So is Jesus saying there's a line that you can cross that you can't come back from? Yes, apparently he is. And I think what I have in in reading that verse, which seems very troubling, is the concept that the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts and we have opportunity at some point, to keep pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And finally, see, because in Revelation 3, I believe it is, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. The idea is, is that that door to our heart opens from the inside. There's only one doorknob. It's on the inside. And we get to open it or not. And eventually, if we keep telling the Holy Spirit to go away, he will honor our wishes. And Saul, through his actions and through his through his choices, eventually told the Holy Spirit to go away and don't come back. And the Holy Spirit honored that. And Saul was left to himself, and he met the end that that he did. So it's a it gets to those spiritual choices. This this is I mean it's quite plain. Like Tracy said, this is a breach of faith. Saul made choices. And those choices had consequences, and the choices he made later in life were different than the choices he made early in life. Well, as we go back to Second Samuel chapter 1, we start to see some, as it's titled here, highlights of David's reign. And it starts out where a man comes back from the battlefront, I guess, and he meets David in Ziklag. If you remember, sent, David was sent back. He was supposed to fight in the battle, but but got sent back because 
the the Philistines that he had at the time sort of aligned himself with didn't trust him enough to they didn't trust that he would uh, fight honorably in the battle. And my guess is they were probably right on that. He probably would have taken Israel's side. Just my guess on that. But so he's in Ziklag. He's had to deal with some things there. And somebody comes up to give him the report that Saul has died. And we see, to me, it's a fascinating glimpse into David's character on this whole thing, where this man this man takes credit for killing Saul. Now, if we recall, Saul killed himself. I mean, literally killed himself. He fell on his own sword. And this guy comes up and is like, I did it. You know, I think this points out, too, is is we've had this glimpse of David two other times, but it was with his own men, that his own men, his his battle-hardened, you know, motley crew, is that they said, hey, let me take Saul's life. I could pin him to the ground right here. Mm-hmm. And what did he say? You know what? Don't do it. Don't touch God's anointed. God will take care of him. Well... This person that came to, to Dave didn't have that luxury of knowing David, I think. And he thought that, you know what, there was going to be some kind of, you know, bounty, some kind of, you know, treasure laid up for him that he did this, but he didn't know David. And I think, too, that when you just kind of look at it, he's already given us that glimpse. Unfortunately, this person didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And he met with David's wrath. Yeah, and it's a. It, it is an interesting story. Like you say, he's uh, this guy's hoping that he's going to gain some kind of reward because, as you as we'll recall, Saul wa- was badly wounded. He was probably not going to survive. He didn't want to get tortured by the Philistines, so so he fell on his own sword. Well, this guy shows up and says, "I found Saul badly wounded." So he starts with this partial truth, but. Then he says, when Saul asked me to kill him, I did it. Not only did I do it, but I took his crown and I've got his arm bracelet. Here's the proof. And he brings them to David. And David has the man executed. Like you said, he says that he's he has him executed because he's killed the Lord's anointed. It's just a fascinating concept to me because, because Saul had been pursuing David so much. And if anybody had a Man, if anybody had an enemy, Saul was David's enemy. But yet he still shows this compassion for him because he was the one chosen to be king by God. It's just a, I don't know, it's such a respect for the office of that kingship. And even to the point where if you get a little further in, and he has to have what was called the Song of the Bow, where David almost seems to be praising Saul for being a good king. Was that odd to you guys? You know, I wonder, too, though, if, you know, when when somebody dies, instead of speaking ill of them, sometimes you just, you forego the things that they've done to you and just praise them for some of the good things that they did. And you tend to overlook the bad things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think so. Backing up the story just a little bit, this Amalekite, David questions him. And if you look at the story in the context... This Amalekite had to be basically a a battle scavenger who went out at night. Because remember, the the Philistines came the next day, and then they found Saul. 
So this Amalekite must have been out there between when the battle wound down and the Philistines came back because he took the crown and the armband, which the Philistines would have had, right? Mm -hmm. So he had to get there first. So he's basically out there robbing the dead. So his character is maybe a little suspect to begin with. He finds these things. And imagine what would have happened if he had said, you know what? I was out on the battlefield. I found Saul. He had been killed. It looks like he took his own life. I brought these to you. He would have been the bearer of bad news, but he wouldn't have done it. And he, I mean, David says, your own mouth testified against you. And if this Amalekite had spoken only the truth, not gone beyond it, uh, it might have been a very different situation. Um, it just, it's, it's another one of those situations like David lying to the uh, priests at Nob about why he was there. Dishonesty caused pain. So we have that, uh, we have that problem here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is just a very interesting thing to me for David to praise him up so much. Yeah. Well, I think part I, of it's Jonathan, though, too, because we have yeah. the, his his very, very best friends. Jonathan was there, and and Saul was, you know, I mean, he, he, David was married to Saul's daughter for a while. Mm-hmm. And he was best friends with Jonathan for as long as they were. Yeah. Well, David finally gets anointed king, but he doesn't get anointed king of all of Judah, or of all of it. Boy, there's a spoiler alert. <laughs> he gets anointed king over Judah, so the, just the tribal land of Judah, but not over all of Israel. Uh, it starts out, David asks if he should go to the cities of Judah. And God says, yeah, go. And he gets sent to Hebron. I like how David it's like he just never, he always asks first, what should I do? And and God sends him into Hebron. And while he's there, he gets anointed as king over this house of Judah. You know, he is, he's of the line of Judah. He gets told that the men of Jabesh Gilead buried Saul, and he, he blesses them for their kindness towards Saul. So more, more honor put on that former king. Okay, so as we're talking about all this, and we're thinking about feuds and who picked sides, and um, right now we have in American politics, anyways, at the moment, some really hard feelings going on here, is that David is not, he's not doing the the typical ha-ha in your face, you losers kind of thing. He's not taking that position. He is saying, well, God has given me this much, I will take this, and no more. And I'm sorry that it didn't work out for the others. Now, remember that, that in these days of king stuff, you were committed to the king's family. It wasn't just the king. It was the king's family. And so if the king dies, and we see this happening just right there in chapter 2, verse 8 here, is when the king dies, the next of kin gets in there, and it's kind of almost your duty to fight. So I'm just saying that, that um, David is, he's very carefully avoiding the, and now I will go through and wipe out all of Saul's family, and I'm going to, you know, make war against everybody who was at one point against me, because that's what the culture demanded. The culture said, well, that's what you're going to do. 
And David's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let God handle these things in his time. And imagine, even though Jonathan said, oh, David, I want you to be king, and I know you're going to be king. If Saul had died, but Jonathan hadn't, this basically the civil war that would have erupted over people who said, no, we support Saul's side. And Jonathan, you have to be king, and you have to hate David. And David and Jonathan would have, they would have been friends, but all of their supporters would have said, no, we're going to fight because now there's a chance that my side's going to win. And if it means your side going down in flames, that's what we're going to do. So David doesn't do that, which is totally not culturally normal. And so we've got uh, Abner makes one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, king. Basically, he's a puppet of Abner. Right. And they start essentially a civil war. And it's, I don't believe, initiated by David, but it is initiated by um, Ishbosheth, who is actually pushed by Abner. And Abner, you remember, he's got a sore spot against David here because David called him out when they went into the um, into that camp that Tracy mentioned earlier. And Abner was asleep beside Saul. And David calls out and says, hey, Abner, like uh, you shirked your duty here. You you totally dropped the ball. And that in that shame and honor culture, that's a load of shame that Abner would have had. You know, I was looking at that, and just to go back to a little bit what you said, you know, I don't, I know the potential is there for even if Jonathan would have survived, that they would have been at odds just based on the people. But if you go back a little bit into First Samuel around eighteen, they made a pact, Jonathan and David. Well, sure. Jonathan, Jonathan understood that. You know what? You've been anointed to be king, and I'll be your second, second in command. Yes, I'm willing to take that that at this point. Yes, so, Jonathan you know, would have. I don't think his family Huh? I think I don't think I think Jonathan would have. I don't think Jonathan's family would have done that. Yeah, and I think that's where the potential is. But you know, I think that just it, it muddied up the whole water at this point of David be able to to take the throne right away. But like you said, David at every point was praying to God saying, you know what? What do I do? Where do I go? And I think he stuck to that even right now. You see it as, you know what? God, do you want me to go here? We'll let God take care of, is it Isbosheth? Isbosheth? Isbosheth. Well, um, there's Mephibosheth later, and then there's Isbosheth here at this point. You know, and I think that's the, that, that's the thing. And, you know, like we always see the small, small portions of things, but God sees the whole picture. And I think that this is how David has to claim his throne is by showing that, you know what, I'm willing to be patient and let God do, let God do his will. So we get the battle and the battle at Gibeon here. We've got, it's pretty gruesome. The, uh, the men of, it's almost like the Philistines fighting the Israelites back in the day. The, the two generals, Abner and, um, Joab sit down with their men behind them. And they're like, all right, let's have, Let's have some some uh, some of our representatives from each, as it says, let the young men arise and compete before us. And basically 12 uh, from uh, Saul's side and 12 from David's side. And they just jump up and all kill each other. There's 24 dead guys. Mm-hmm. And then everybody breaks out and fights against each other. And in verse 18, chapter 218, and the three sons of, Zeruiah, 
were there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashiel. Remember, these are David's nephews, maybe older nephews, right? Maybe younger, don't know. And they're fighting, and one of them is a really, really good runner. Ashiel um, was as swift as foot of the, as a wild gazelle. So Abner's running away. Ashiel is chasing him. Abner's probably older, a bit more seasoned fighter, but he's not as fast. And he says to Ashiel, go fight someone else. And Ashiel says, basically, nope, I'm coming after you. And Abner of Saul's side says, don't make me do this. Ashiel just keeps chasing him. And the picture I get is um, in 23, uh, Ashiel, but he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that it came out his back. And he fell and died where he was. Basically, Ashael is just about to catch up with Abner. Abner's running away. Abner stops cold, throws his sword backwards, or spear backwards, and kills Ashael right there. Blood feud. So what happens is, and I don't know, it's in it's in a head. Abner, well, Abner calls out to Joab, you know, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? Basically he's saying, hey, call off the war here. Let's just, let's not fight at this moment. And so both sides back down. Abner then decides he's going to uh, basically bring over the kingdom of Saul to David. He's going to say, you know what? Saul's side is going to lose. I'm going to give my influence to the side I see winning. That's David's side. So Abner brings, you know, comes over and says, hey, I'll give my allegiance to you, David. David says, okay. Sounds good to me. Now, Joab at this time is off doing something else. He's having a battle somewhere else. And um, David hosts uh, Abner and his men. He sends away Abner and his men peacefully. And Joab, David's nephew, comes back and, and he's greeted with, like, hey, David just made a, made a uh, pact with Abner. And Joab's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Abner's the guy who killed David's nephew, killed my brother. How could he be doing that? So Abner sends a note out. I'm sorry. Um, Joab sends a note out to Abner saying, oh, hey, you know, come on back. There's something we've got to tell you. Forgot to tell you. So Joab thinks, okay, well, you know, the, uh, I mean, sorry, these names, I'm doing, I'm doing a mat here. uh, (laughs) It's just hard to keep these guys straight. It is. Um, Joab sends for Saul's guy, Abner. Abner comes back, and Joab takes him aside, and he and his brother murder him. This isn't in battle, and this is an important thing in those days. If you were killed in battle, it was kind of like, that's fair. Like, well, that, that's just what happened. <clears throat> but to be caught un, unaware, and David said something like, you know, were you killed like a dog you know just so basically david's nephews murder abner and and david does the same thing for abner that he did for saul he mourns for them yeah you know i was sort of getting the impression here that abner is rather conflicted through all of this he's he's recognized First of all, we see that he's recognized that that David is the anointed. He's the one he's the one to take over. But, you know, even at that beginning of that, that weird conflict of setting 12 men from each side against each other. 
it almost comes across as like like Abner and Joab didn't necessarily want to fight each other. You get to the point where where Abner is having to fight off uh, as a hell, and he says, "You know, I I don't want to kill you. How could I face your brother if I did that?" Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. the impression. I almost get the impression that Joab and Abner, yes, Joab and Abner, were <laughs> were maybe friends. You know, rather, you know, when we when they when they meet at that pool, it's like, well, rather than all this all just fighting each other, why don't we just have twenty four guys go out there and, and fight? I wonder if it's one thing of mutual respect. Yeah, maybe. at least at the very least, there's that that they're both you know heads of the the army for the the king, you know, both kings at this point, mm-hmm. and they're just saying, you know what, we can go out there and we could lose tens of thousands of men, or we can just say, you know what. 12 from each side go up there and, and fight, which is which you you see throughout history. Sometimes they do that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with David and Goliath. Goliath was calling out everybody. Hey, bring your best guy out here. I'll come out here. We'll, we'll battle it out. Whoever wins, the other one will be their servant. Let's just keep it at that. Not everybody has to fight. It's, it was done throughout history. But I think it was that mutual respect part of both being, you know, it, Heads of the army saying, we're the old wise dogs. Let's not everybody needs to fight. And I definitely don't probably don't want to fight you because I think it's, you know, skill set matching skill set. If, if you you want to say that. Yeah, I just thought it was, it was very interesting because Abner, he, he flips pretty quickly too once once Saul is gone. And it's a couple years, though. True. But he does make a clean break. He knows how to make a clean break. Oh, he's yeah. very political. He, he just sleeps with with the you know the concubine, and that's pretty much it. Okay, you know he Abishab gets up and says, "Hey, you know you can't do that, right?" Yeah, I pretty much know that, but I'm doing what I'm doing to to move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, it, but it, it's interesting to me how he flips because you can see that he is he's gaining power in that house of Saul. And he's got a puppet king. He's it's basically it seems like it's basically Abner. He's probably the one really running the greater portion of Israel. But he flips when Ishbosheth accuses him of sleeping with one of Saul's concubines. You know, that's like the turning point. And all of a sudden he becomes angry with Ishbosheth, the guy that he put up. So I suppose I suppose maybe this is like. I put you here and I can take you down. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, but right then he pledges right then and there that he's going to help David. And he he actively recognizes David's claim to the throne because because he knows that David is the one that God has said is supposed to have it. And I'm wondering, too, how old Ishbosheth was. I'm getting the impression maybe he was pretty young. Because how many of Saul's how many of Saul's sons died in that battle? Was it three the warriors? Anyways, I think it was three sons. I think mm-hmm. it was three sons. So my guess, my you know my my best hypothesis here is that Ishbosheth then was the was the fourth oldest. So the next one, because like you said, we have Mephibosheth after after that. I'm wondering if if maybe Ishbosheth just wasn't he wasn't terribly old or terribly mature, didn't have a lot of maybe confidence in his abilities as it was, and so easily, kind of easily set up 
by Abner to be that puppet. And as soon as he kind of turns on Abner, Abner's like, hey, remember who put you here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to support you anymore. I, I just really got the impression Ishbosheth is clearly, he's not, he's not a good king. He's, he's just, uh, he's just a face. And Abner goes, he actively goes and he wants a covenant with David. He says, whose is the land? Make your covenant with me. Indeed, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. So he just, he, he, he just goes to the winning side. He knows this is the side that's going to win. And David agrees, but he wants that first wife back that you mentioned, Michael or Michelle or Michelle, however we said that. That's, uh, that's an interesting situation too. I mean, here David has, at this point, I think I saw, there was somewhere in here, six sons by six. (laughs) What's that? He has a few wives, the concubine. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one that got away. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Is it a matter of pride for him? He doesn't seem, he doesn't general seem to a terribly, a person to de- generally show too much pride. But I mean, this is supposed to be his wife. They did have a wedding and, and Saul took her away and gave her somebody else. So that was just a weird situation. But he wants, he wants her back. And that's kind of his, that's his condition for accepting Abner's loyalty. Yeah, this is a sign, though. And then this is <clears throat> this is a sign of um, authority. And we actually skipped over it, but it's in First uh, Chronicles in that section. We just kind of uh, breezed over it in First Chronicles um, uh, one through ten. Is that the birthright was taken away from Reuben because Reuben quote defiled the couch of his father and slept with his father's concubine. He lost his birthright over that. It was given to Ephraim and Manasseh. It's a big deal. Like, because this is a basically it's a saying, no, I'm the boss here. We see um we see Abner do this to uh in the in the kingdom. Uh we see this is why David is saying, now I'm gonna reestablish who's who here. I'm going to get the king's you know, king's daughter back, and this is gonna show who's who. Later, spoiler alert, David has uh, a rebellion in his kingdom, and that's one of the first things that his son does to say, I'm making this official, that now I'm the one in charge. And it has to do with who gets the concubines. So this was, this was, a, this was a big symbolic deal. Almost set a precedent. His wife. <laughs> yeah, sets a precedent. And it was interesting to me, too, that it's Ishbosheth who goes and gets back Michael and bring takes her from his takes her from her current husband to deliver her, her to to David. It wasn't Abner. I would have expected it to be Abner, right. but instead of it, it was it was Ishbosheth that went and did it. So even Ishbosheth is like it's it's like yeah, you're right. You're you're the one. You you should be in charge. It's just it was, that was just interesting, and <laughs> you get this this. I don't know. It's it, kind of a funny puppy dog situation where where her husband follows along, wanting her back, and until uh, basically somebody just says no, and he turns around and goes home. So, well, I guess Abner is the one who says no, but yeah, Ishbosheth is the one who goes and gets her, and Abner is the one who says no. But you know, you you think about it though, and from the very beginning, Dave's been on the run. They haven't been together. They were married probably a short time. 
she probably has a life with somebody else. Who knows if she has children? Did it say she had children? Mm, I don't think it did. I don't think it did, but I mean, that's a pretty good but, assumption. Yeah, but, you know, and the she already built another life, and it's like, um, mm-hmm. it was just almost something to do, you know, like like we were just talking about. I, I'm kind of torn on that one. It was like, okay, so you had all these other wives, you had all these concubines. I know you have to make it look like that and, you know, assert your authority, but really, is she going to fall into line too? Or is she going to? She doesn't. There's, there's issues later. Right. When we see uh, David and Michael show up and it's, this is a political move. It definitely. And you know, you're just, now you have somebody in your household that is harboring ill will against you. Yep. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It was just it was an odd move. Of course, we're looking at it from a 21st century perspective, and you know, back then, you know, that whole idea of divorce was was not a thing, especially uh, especially for her to just to be taken away and given to somebody else. So, I mean, David has a rightful claim on her, I guess you could say. Uh, it just we, we like you, but like you said today, we would just like, oh, that's that's. We need past. Karen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Karen. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think about this? Just getting, uh, you know, tossed around like like property. Yeah, we would. I I don't think any of us here though, if this was the situation and we had a past uh, relationship with somebody like that, and they've got a new relationship, probably wouldn't be stepping in and saying, no, she's mine, you know, but um. Yeah, that that political aspect of that is interesting. Well, Abner, he calls the elders of Israel to make David king and reminds them, you guys wanted this to begin with. It's so it's just interesting to me that it's Abner. Abner ends up being probably David's biggest campaign manager here. Really, you think about it. He's been supporting Saul so, so strongly in the past. And then sets up this other king, and 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 it's just it's just this weird flip now where he goes and he's 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 uh, he's campaigning for for David, and again he recognizes that God chose David in uh, verse um, I want to say verse eighteen something like that, but um, it it just kind of shows me that he knew all along who was supposed to be king, and it's or at least I guess we think he I think. That's why that's why I'm reading it here. Maybe while he was supporting Saul, well, Saul was still the king when he was doing it, so Saul was the chosen at the time. It's just an odd thing for him to then throw his support behind Ishbosheth instead of David. But I guess he had his own political things that he was trying to establish. But he he pledges to David that he's going to campaign on his behalf, and then this is where the story with Joab murdering Abner comes in and you know that idea that maybe Abner and he were friends that that sort of lends a deeper drama into the situation where if if Joab and Abner were friends and Abner had killed Joab's brother there's a there's a really deep emotional quotient to all this and you can see why you can kind of see why Joab would be motivated to want to go after Abner like this. Yeah. yeah. So there's, I mean, what, even if they weren't friends, there should have, there should have been a respect level there. Mm-hmm. 
Joab does this as a blood feud. And this is interesting because David doesn't forget this. He, he mourns Abner and this is really important from a, both a spiritual and a political perspective is that David didn't do this. David was not the author of this betrayal, this vengeance, this, this blood feud. And David recognizes this is interesting. It's at the very end of chapter three. Uh, and I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the son of Zeruiah, remember, that's David's sister, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So David doesn't really like Joab. And he sees Joab as being a severe political player and a violent man. And this plays forward all the way to the end. So I get the idea that Joab is actually younger than David. Because when David dies, he gives instructions to his son Solomon as to what to do with Joab. Mm-hmm. All the way, we're talking 40 years later, David gives uh, instructions to Solomon. Basically, spoiler alert, to put Joab to death. Yep. At the beginning of his reign. Because this is Joab. Joab's too political. He's too savy. He's too violent. Yes. Yep. You, you need. He's a man of blood. You need to get rid of him. Have him killed. That's one of David's last things. I mean, it's this stuff. These feelings of hatred and vengeance and repayment. I mean, these things stick a long time. You're saying this is the, the beginning of a um, the political soap opera right here. You get every single turn, twist and turn in the story, but yeah. All the and, seeds are laid here. David has yeah. all these sons. We kind of skipped over that. All of these different sons by all of these different women, mm-hmm. uh, they show up again. Yeah, six sons by six different wives. Yeah, the, they uh, show up again. I mean, the name that stuck out to me the most was Absalom. You get a, We get a pretty dramatic story coming from him down the road here. Oh, uh, yeah, and we get a terrible story um, from, oh, what's the guy's name? Um, oh, anyways, so the, the Amnon. That rapes a sister. Amnon shows up again and then creates oh. drama. The brothers, and just like the, the whole thing gets really ugly over time. And and we get the idea that, that David, as a man seeking God, that was good. But, man, he made some really bad choices. And I guess this is worth mentioning. We've mentioned this in past podcasts is just because it was recorded that people did it doesn't mean it's recommended. But it also kind of, and I always torture this one saying, what is it about your enemies? Keep them closer. What's, what's that? Keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. There you go. And that's exactly what he did with Joab. Yep. Yeah. I was, I was interested also in the way David mourned for Abner. Because again, he, he did this because it's, it's, He's showing that, and it's for real, but he's also showing to the people of Israel, I didn't do this. I'm not doing this for the purpose of taking over politically. Yeah, that's a good point. And then I was also interested here, too, at the way he, he made Joab and his men mourn. Yeah. Just an, an interesting, you know, the murderer is, is pressed into mourning for the person he's murdered. We don't get any. We don't get any indication that Joab shows any remorse for what he's done. It's, it, you know, it, it it made me think of the times when we feel we might feel justified 
in lashing out violently against someone for something they've done. Even when somebody might have done something really grievous towards us. Uh, I mean, the one of the things I could think of right away is like if somebody ever hurt one of my kids, the first thing I would want to do is go get a baseball bat and beat them up one side and down the other, you know. Um, and, and in my mind, that feels like a justified act of violence. You know, I would likely do it. I wouldn't feel terribly bad about it and uh, might even gloat over them in the hospital if they stayed alive. And I probably, you know, it doesn't seem like I would care much if they died. But uh, David's attitude here is kind of different. It's like mm -hmm. you shouldn't have done it to begin with. Mm -hmm. And not only should you not have done it, but you should be you should be remorseful and you should be mourning for this guy. It's a fascinating it's a fascinating look into David's character. It, it's, uh, you know, it really makes me, it, it makes me um, reevaluate some of the ways I've thought about things. Yes, and I guess this might be just a, an opportunity to pause for a second and say, what was the outcome of the behaviors of these guys? Because I just got done saying, just because it was recorded doesn't mean you shouldn't, you should do it. Well, there's a lot of things that happened here. What was the upshot of David having all these sons by all these women and not really raising them as sons? Goes badly. Yeah. Okay, so what was the upshot of this blood feud between Joab and um, and Abner? Ah, it doesn't go well. How does this go? Like we're going to take over politically from the other side violently. We haven't even touched chapter four. Second Samuel, it's a short chapter, short story. Doesn't go well. How does it go when David says, no, we're going to mourn Saul and Jonathan and his sons? People look at that and say, oh, yeah, you know what? That's honorable. And when David mourns Abner and says, you know what? This is Abner did the best he could with what he had, and he served the king, the anointed king, honorably. The people, I don't know how it says, oh, it says right here in verse 36, and all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased the people. So all the people of, and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And that actually, what, what, what fruit comes of that? Good, actually, because the people realize, you know what? No, David's not a man of violence. He didn't do this just to take over the kingdom by force. Actually, we kind of like David. He's and so we got to look at what's the what's the outcome of the behaviors that people do. So. You know, and I think, too, along with what Eric was saying, which I totally agree with and and just showing he did it by what he always does. He used his words um, in front of his kingdom. And basically he told them, you know what? Joab's wicked. All the people that did this are wicked. And you know what? Unfortunately, if you look at his little how he. Uh, lamented over Abner, he said, you know what? Should Abner die as fools die? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. You know, he, he called it what it was. It was like, you know what? These guys did what they wanted to do. And I think just to Eric's point, he had to say it in front of, in front of his kingdom. So it let him knew let them know exactly where he stood in all of this. And making them get in sackcloth and everything else was just a place that says, you know what, I'm king. I'm going to tell you what to do now, and this is what you're going to do. Yeah, it is an interesting, an interesting way 
to move to move forward on that in, in this position of grace and mercy and a much a much more compassionate uh, uh, track to be on than 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 normal. Like you said, I mean, we have this tendency now to gloat and to well, I mean, you just look at the political landscape right now. I mean. When was the last time that somebody asked you to vote for him because the because they were good? It's vote for me because the other guy is terrible, you know. <laughs> and um, I mean, I I actively when it be, when it comes campaign seasons for things, I just watch for anybody. It's like just to see: are you going to tell me why you're good, or are you just going to tell me why the other person is awful? You know. And they never tell you why they're good. It's always that guy's just a horrible, terrible human being doesn't deserve to live, and and that's. David is taking a completely different track with it, and it's just it's fascinating. Yeah, there's an honor component here. I mean, I guess picture this in the Old West, is that if the two two guys go out and they have a, a duel, they're standing in Main Street, and they're like, okay, 10 paces will turn, and you know whoever twitches first you know, and draws, then that's just what happens, right? And everybody kind of understands, well, you're there, and this is how it happens, good or bad. It's like, well, those are, those are kind of the rules. But what happens here is that Joab basically shoots him in the back, doesn't even say that this is going to be a duel. It's like, hey, come here, I just want to let's talk a little bit. And he just shoots him in the back and everybody realizes, oh, that's not honorable. That's Mm. that's not okay. And David's calling that out. And, you know, so we have this honor thing show up again. Chapter four, second second uh, Samuel, chapter four. Ishbosheth is still the king, mm-hmm. even though there's been the flip of Abner and the flip of the people of Israel for the most part. Ishbosheth is still the king. Two guys go in and, and just murder him. They mm-hmm. just kill him in his sleep again. Where's the honor in this? There's no honor at all in this, and. Mm-hmm. The two guys kill Ishbosheth. Apparently, no one's paying attention to how David reacts to these things. Because how many times right. is this now? Right. Yeah. And these guys show up and like, "Hey, look, we killed him in his sleep." And David is not impressed. Yeah. Uh, well, and they they do it in a gruesome way too. I mean, they kill him, but then they behead him and they bring the head to David. And, and like you said, it's like, have you guys not paid any attention at all? I mean. One one guy got killed for, and he brought David the, the the crown, and here you brought him this guy's actual head or this kid's head or whatever, you know. And at this point, you think David is going to react well to this? And uh, well, no, he doesn't. Clearly, he doesn't. You know, at first it seemed like kind of an out of the blue thing that these guys would would kill Ishbosheth like this, but it did say there in verse one of chapter four that when Saul's it says when Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron. He lost heart and all Israel was troubled. It's it would seem to me like pretty much everybody knew that Abner was the one in charge. Like everybody knew. Mm-hmm. And and now Ishbosheth is just at a total loss. Mm-hmm. And nobody, you know, no nobody thinks that he's gonna be good. And then so these guys decide to take it into their own hands and uh and do him in. And and once again, David calls it out. Mm-hmm. He, and you look in 11, how much more than wicked men have killed a righteous per- person in his own bed? You yeah. Say, but there's no honor in what you did at all. Not yeah. that I would have sided with it to begin with, but you killed him while he was asleep in his bed. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, just like <laughs> kind of Eric alluded to the wild, wild west. It's like, 
Okay, so you shot the guy in the back. There's no honor in that. Right. Right. You know, and I think that's exactly there. We see David once again, and like like he had said before, you know, he hasn't he's never dealt well with people that do that. It's like, why do you even think you were gonna gain points with David by doing that? Yeah, so, I guess it's a it's just a nature thing that everybody just assumes everybody assumes that the new guy's gonna wanna wanna put down the the, the, the last guy. Um, well, but think about this is that they had been living and working in an environment where that was the norm. Yeah. We're go after David. We're going to, we've rejected God. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to just fight. We're going to claw our way to the top. And in their world, that was just pretty normal. And they probably thought like, I don't know if you guys were where you grew up, but sometimes somebody would do something and, and it wouldn't be particularly impressive. And they'd show up and tell you, and you're like, well, you want a medal? <laughs> what are you expecting yeah. and that's kind of what these guys it's, it's a political move on their part they probably think cool we'll do this they were kind of they were it says they captains of raiding bands for Saul and they probably thought cool well if Abner's gone and then Ishbosheth is gone maybe David will give us a position of honor and stuff and David's like no not gonna happen so mm-hmm. we there's there's a you know I think we get it oh I'm sorry Go ahead. I was going to shift gears for just a quick second. I was going to. I was going to actually going to go back and say, you know what? We got a little seed planted here in verse four exactly. with right. Right. and he comes on later in the in the story. But still, it it kind of gives us a heads up that you know what? There's still one out there, and this is his plight right now. Is that he's lame? He he tried to escape, thinking that David was going to come after him and harm him. Didn't know any of these other packs that that David had with Jonathan and not hurting Saul's family or anything like that. So he tries to flee. So it just kind of gives us a little, a little um, foreshadowing that there's somebody still out there and he does come in later. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it, but it just dropped us that little seed, that little pearl that let us know that there's still, there's still some of Saul's uh, descendants out there. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to say, Eric? That. Okay. (laughs) 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 <laughs> great minds great minds exactly <laughs> exactly well the Are two men but not hmm? jump in and, and look at some of the singing the blues here yeah i was just gonna say quickly though but and rakab they get executed and Ishbosheth, he david has his head buried in the tomb of abner so it still puts them in um kind of together in a in at least a little bit of honor now, we did read through some psalms. Um, it was a lot of psalms, a lot, a lot of psalms, because we had gone so much through uh, the Chronicles and such. And I uh, will just touch on some of them here a little bit. What did you What did you guys have stand out to you in any of those? Uh, it just, there's just a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, one of them that really stood out to me was Psalm 78, which is basically a history of Israel in the desert. It's... You wouldn't think to look in Psalms for kind of a another angle on Israel in you know, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but there it is. Psalm seventy-eight shines some extra light on that, so that was interesting. I was finding it interesting that here the Psalms have they've kind of changed their tack a bit on where it in the past it was God protect me from my enemies, protect me, you know, uh, uh, let me see them defeated and to now it's i'm so thankful that god has protected me now that the whole situation with saul is 
is done and it's gone from it's got ch- kind of changed through all these from a position of asking to now a position of thankfulness. What about you, Tracy? You know, I was I looked at a lot of them, and, and like I said, and too just a little while ago, is is they just show David's faith and how much he relies on God. You know, if you look in twenty one, he's you know you set a crown of pure gold upon my head. You know, he's he's thanking God for his position at this point, but then yet he knows he knows that the road is not going to be easy. But he says also, you know what? Raise me up against my enemies, people that are coming against me. You know, help me to survive this because I know that that's the only way I'm going to make it. So I think it's it, it rings true throughout all of them is is just showing his faithfulness and his his nature to lean upon God to bring everything to him at every turn. And like I said, I think that just shows us his character that, you know what, while he did make mistakes, while he, you know, maybe call it what it is, wasn't a great father, that in essence he tried. One of my favorite psalms came up in ver- in chapter 8, verses 3 through, well, it kind of goes for a bit, but when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. That's one of my. That really is one of my favorite psalms because it it places such a perspective on our position in the universe. Every time I I think of this verse, every time I see pictures like from space and you know you see giant nebulas and you find out that millions of planet earths could fit within these things or you know uh uh, even you look at some of the gas giants and 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 how many how many how much larger some of the planets even in our own solar system are to the planet earth and then you think of how small we are on this tiny little blue speck that's out in the middle of nothing and god pays attention to us and how he talks here about how he's given us a position of honor in the universe. And, and, and he's like, why? Why have you done this? But he's so thankful that he's done it. So grateful that, that God pays attention. Because he wouldn't have to. You know, there's very little reason that something so small, so insignificant should, should have any meaning. But yet God pays attention to these little things, to us, to the details of our lives. And uh, it's just it's what it's one of my favorites. You know, what did you guys think about 73? I I looked at that one as, you know, when you look and see, I don't know, maybe people doing wrong and, and prospering. And just how not to be envious, maybe. Yeah. And to keep your eyes fixed on God, because in the end, that's all that matters. Mm hmm. And he kind of took you through the whole thing of, you know, I watch others and I see them get all this gold and accumulate all this this stuff, but they act so wickedly. But in the if you, you skip to the bottom, but I but I put all my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it just takes us through that whole you know thing of, you know what, you'll see other things go on in the world. Don't be distracted. Don't get on slippery ground. Don't depart from from God. Keep your eyes fixed on God. It makes me think right off when back, is it Peter and Jesus are walking along the beach 
And Dave, not David, John is, I don't remember if he's ahead of him or behind him, but Jesus is telling Peter all these things are going to happen. And all of a sudden Peter goes, well, what about him? What about John? And Peter says, don't worry about John. You worry about you. You know, you yeah. follow me. You, you so, so sort of like this, you know, if other people are getting things you think they don't deserve or you're not getting things you think maybe you deserve, keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on Jesus. That's where the salvation lies. That's where your real prosperity lies. And I know it can be frustrating to see like, you know, those those people that we don't think are living up to God's potential or the potential that God would have for them. I mean, you see them maybe seeming more prosperous than than you, but that's not for you to worry about. Just take you just keep your eyes focused on where where it's important. Yeah, there's a really amazing uh, verse in here in chapter seventy three, Psalm seventy three, twenty five. Who whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. It's a pretty singular focus right there. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, I will put in the show notes because it was a lot of Psalms. And so if our listeners, if you if you want to read through these Psalms and get some of this insight into into David's heart and mind, it's just way too much for us to really be able to discuss here. And like we've said in the past, the Psalms the Psalms delve so much into feelings that they're just very personal and you kind of just have to read them to get uh, to get the real meaning out of them. They're very hard to talk about because sometimes they just give you they give you an emotion that you don't know how to express in words. And so I'm going to put into the show notes all the Psalms for the for this within the chronological aspect of things. Yeah. And and I would encourage you to take the time to read them because there's a lot of comfort in the Psalms. There's a lot of encouragement in the Psalms. And sometimes it's sometimes in the Psalms, it's through seeing that somebody had a rough time. And sometimes it's through seeing that they had blessing. And so it's definitely worth uh, reading through those. And I'll, I'll put those in the show notes if you want to try to pick those up and take a look, look at them. Now, our reading, our discussion for next week is going to focus largely on... Second Samuel chapters five and six, and First Chronicles eleven through thirteen. This is where we start seeing a lot of that crossover. And you'll notice as you read, sometimes you'll read one and you'll look at the other one and go, "Didn't I just read that?" And well, yeah, basically you did because, like as Eric said, uh, they were written a long time apart from each other, and they're probably one is probably probably Chronicles is using uh, Samuel as a reference. But we start to see a little broader perspective from, from different angles in those. So 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 6 and 1 Chronicles 11 through 13 will be our focus for next week. In the meantime, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can find us on Facebook. And we ask that you... Share this podcast with your friends and family and make sure that you subscribe so that you reach us so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.